Hello, my name is Pramindra Sharma. I am the program director of Pacific Island Center for Development Policy and Research. Uh, I'm here in Suva this week uh, to have a conversation with the, the Deputy Governor of the Reserve Bank of Fiji. And the conversation is going to be on Esala Masitambua, who is the Deputy Governor, his views on how things have been in terms of his of uh, Reserve Bank of Fiji's collaboration with Griffith University and with PICDPR and his uh, views on what the challenges might be for uh, Fiji uh, in uh, recent times. Bulavinaka Deputy Governor, Salam Masitambua, Deputy Governor of Reserve Bank of Fiji. Welcome to this uh, conversation with PICDPR. Of course, PICDPR is the Pacific Island Center for Development Policy Research. Uh, the forerunner to this, of course, you might know, is the, was the South Pacific Center for Central Banking. The idea of both the programs has been to uh, help develop capacity for research and policy making here in the Pacific region, uh, in, in helping, of course, the uh, research and policy making institutions do that. Uh, and uh, with the South Pacific Center for Central Banking, uh, the focus was mostly on the uh, central banks, as you, could, you can together from the title name in the South Pacific. But the governors have always been encouraging us to um, extend the program because they found it very useful. They said it could be benefit of benefit to uh, others in the region as well. And uh, so earlier this year, we have rebranded the program. It's called PICDPR now. The uh, overall uh, objective, goal, mission, whatever you might call that, has been to help develop capacity, as, as I was saying, and uh, so uh, with the, the change in the name, we have adopted a four-pillar program uh, approach to this. And uh, they are, uh, we are going to continue with the joint working papers. We have always done. That has been a core of the program. Then we have uh, training and development, again, uh, to, uh, uh, to provide uh, training for the joint working papers, really. Then we have project-based activities and uh, global visibility of what we are doing in the region here. And also to showcase uh, for the region and the central banks and others uh, the uh, capacity they are building in terms of research that is going to lead to, um, to policy making. It is in relation to this last pillar, global visibility, that uh, uh, we are here today to talk about how it has been how the journey has been for the Reserve Bank of Fiji, which was the first, the founding member of the year uh, or partner of our program. And they have been with us for a few years now, of course. So um, the uh, questions that I was going to ask you, uh, Deputy Governor, were really to, uh, to find out how things have been for the Reserve Bank of Fiji so far. Uh, but before I go into those questions, uh, uh, let me uh, start with something else I do. Uh, understand that you are, uh, of course, I'm from Griffith University, I've studied there and I understand that you are also an alumnus of, um, of Griffith University, you may have been there a while ago. So let me start with that and uh, uh, to, for you to tell us a little bit about your experience there and how you, uh, why you decided to go to Griffith before I go to the other questions. Yes, thank you, uh, Pramendra, and thank you for this opportunity. Uh, so, everyone uh, has their, you know, their story around uh, the Reserve Bank is full of uh, 
graduates, um, people that have uh, achieved uh, academic uh, achievements. So my story and my association with uh, Griffith goes something like this. So when I left uh, school in 1988, um, I come from a family of three. So my uh, sister, was, uh, I was the middle child, so my sister started work and at that time uh, it was easy if you had good marks to just rock up uh, get a, an opportunity to work in the bank the commercial banks were always looking for um, fresh talent so my family decided that my sister will work and support the other two siblings and when it was my turn uh, I would go and and uh, achieve academic uh, achievements to make my family proud but when I saw my sister earning money, I thought to myself, I don't want to study, I want to go and work and earn money. So I decided not to go to USP because that was the idea back, uh, baseline back then. I wanted to work. So I ended up working for two years. After two years, that urge to study, uh, I couldn't, and to achieve uh, you know, some academic uh, achievements started to to take a hold of me and at that time I came across uh, uh, advertisement. At that time the Australian scholarship used to be called ADEB and it was called ADEB EMSS, uh, Equity and Merit. So they tried when they gave out scholarships to be balanced across gender and that was way back in 1990 and balanced across ethnicity. So I said okay I have a good chance here. And um, then you would fill out the form in a paper. Uh, it came out a one-page ad in the newspaper. And when you fill out that form, they told you that uh, they have like 200 real application forms. So once you go past, uh, you fill out that form in the paper, put your qualifications, the minimum uh, documentation, you send it off to the embassy or to the uh, Australian embassy. And then they will shortlist from there and they will send out 200 application forms. This is what I was told. And so if you see an application form coming into your box or your mail address, you know you've, you've, uh, you've achieved that first cut and you, your chances are high that you would get uh, a scholarship. But in that form, it, you had to specify this, the area of study which must not be uh, available locally, and the institution that you wanted to be in. So this is all my thinking. I thought, okay, I need to maximize my chances, so I needed to pick a university that had a high chance of selecting, saying yes to me. So I was standing in the um, Australian uh, embassy. That time, uh, their branch used to be up at Dominion House, and they had uh, uh, bookshelf full of handbooks from all the universities in Australia. 1990, year before internet. So I looked and I saw University of Queensland, big one, no. University of New South Wales, no. Uh, because I knew that a lot of us in that 200 will be competing for spaces there. And I didn't have the confidence that I would be in the top percentile. So I looked down and I saw Griffith University. No idea what Griffith University <laughs> where it was and I said this is the university because I've never heard of it 
and I picked it up and it said it was a relatively new university. And uh, if you get accepted by the, so that 200 applications came through and the embassy would send out your applications to the universities and they would get back acceptances from the university saying, yes, we accept this person. Then from there, they will do their interviews. So that's the story of how I ended up in, and it happened to be Queensland, which, uh, uh, you know, the weather I heard at that time, they said, like, if you go to Queensland, it's not too far down the, uh, if you look across from Fiji, so, and of course, the Queensland is the state of the mighty maroon, so it's made notes. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was my story and ended up in, in uh, Griffith. Eh? So, the downside of it, unbeknownst to me, uh, La was studying, La, one of our staff here, La Coca, and Kalisi was studying at the University of Queensland. There's a, much later I found there, there was a whole lot of foreign students there, but the downshot of what I did was I ended up in a university all alone. I didn't have any support structures around me, no Fijian students, uh, and it was a pretty torrid time. I was so homesick. Uh, I think the first uh, semester I flopped all my subjects because I was just uh, depressed and wondering why I, why in, on earth did I want to uh, go abroad and study. So after the airplane ride and the ride to the airport, I was really, really regretting that decision. But with the support of my family, I was able to knuckle down and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, in university it's so important having support structures, like people you uh, you know, you bounce ideas off and, and help each other, group work. So as I shared with you, I frequently, because I'm also a very introverted person, I can't make friends easily. So often when there's group work, I would find myself uh, asking my uh, lecturer if I can do that uh, assignment alone, because I couldn't make friends. Eh? Once they say, this is your group assignment, you see the whole class start looking at each other and, you know, we, we group together. And poor old me sitting down there, I have no, and no one wants to be in my group. So I would go and ask the lecturer if I can do it on my own. And, and he or she would tell me the reason it's group work is because it's not enough for one person. And I said, no, I'm willing to take that chance. So that was the downshot of... Uh, of uh, selecting Griffith, but I enjoyed my time there, and of course, uh, as we will go on and talk about uh, how Griffith came about, I, I, you know, I was really uh, proud that uh, my alma mater was, had come around to be, uh, you know, one of, that the Reserve Bank was associated, so somehow all that blood, sweat, and tears on Nathan campus, on Tui uh, Forest, and then I came to, uh, you know, be associated with Griffith again in this collaborative work is something that fills me with enormous pride. Thank you very much for that, uh, Deputy Governor. And that uh, very naturally takes us to one of the first questions I have here for you, and that is, uh, how has this partnership with the 
with the Griffith University's PICDPR has been <coughs> in terms of uh, developing capacity for research and policy making for the Reserve Bank. Would you like to make a comment on that, please? So, Premier, it's been a very rewarding journey. A very rewarding journey. It goes back to, as you would be aware, to 2012. I think uh, if I cast my mind back, I remember being in uh, the head of uh, FI, CMFI, and uh, the governors at that time had referred a uh, banking symposium. It's a collaborative approach between USP and Griffith University. So the governors, the governor at that time and deputy governor said, uh, uh, CMFI will go, and I think the CEO of uh, ANZ and Bank of Baroda also spoke at that uh, symposium, very modest symposium. And then I looked and I saw it was Pramendra. And I, of course, I know you from uh, Reserve Bank and being a supervisor when I started my career in 97. Pramendra was uh, one of the senior bank examiners at that time. So I went along and uh, after that, then I found out that uh, you had uh, made an appointment to meet the governors and we sat at the boardroom and you outlined this plan of capacity building. And uh, it was so fortunate that uh, the governor and the deputy governor at that time were both uh, former chief manager of financial institutions, Barry Whiteside and INIA. So they were both very supportive. I mean, relationships are important in the Pacific. Eh? So once you know someone, you just, you just uh, across the world, but you know, in Pacific, we rely a lot on uh, no relationship. So I think that was the, the starting point of this uh, journey. And then, of course, uh, when uh, our current governor became uh, deputy governor, then things really started to take off because you know, he was just uh, so... Uh, uh, he was, he's placed a lot of emphasis on the work, uh, you know, supporting research. Yeah? So, and we had commenced uh, in 2004, I think, with an initial joint working paper that was co-authored uh, by, I'm, you can enlighten us on which one was, yes, 2014. And in 2015, we had the support of the Australian government, DFED, and we had a team that had gone there, and, uh, similar to something that uh, we are currently doing. but. We had the Australian Awards Fellowship Program, and then we had the governors who also met in Brisbane, and they agreed, uh, they all agreed on the direction of uh, what Griffith uh, was intending to do in terms of uh, capacity building and uh, building up the rigor of uh, academic rigor of um, research within the central banks. So that's the genesis of this uh, collaborative partnership. As I mentioned, it's been a rewarding journey. We'd like to, uh, you know, I'd like to acknowledge uh, your contribution in it, as I've done on so many occasions. I think relationships matter, and your association with the Reserve Bank and with the region is something that, uh, you know, that has really been pivotal in this, uh, in this partnership. So strengthening the research capacity, I think in the terms of the results, we've uh, produced nine working papers, four of which went on to be published in reputable journals. 
and there's also a wide range of uh, engagement activities with the researchers have uh, have indulged in and at the macro level this partnership has continued to strengthen our you know we've collaborated across the region and at present we have 10 working papers that our staff are co-authors with and i'm sure that we'll be meeting them after this and then we uh, continue to benefit greatly from this. Uh, that's, uh, that's great to know. So the program has been useful and beneficial. So that's uh, something that I will take away from this uh, conversation for my colleagues. Um, uh, it, so um, I understand that uh, Reserve Bank and other policy-making research institutions here in the region would have uh, <coughs> some sort of uh, partnership with other capacity-building organizations and institutions. Uh, but uh, RBF and others uh, um, wanting to work with us uh, seems to indicate that there were some things that uh, they were not able to find or able to get with the other institutions. Uh, what I am talking about here is that there might have been some distinct or unique or uh, something distinct and unique about the partnership and there might have been some gaps that were not fulfilled by other capacity building institutions. Would you like to make a comment on that, Dr. Uh, so, thank you, Praman. I think uh, we, as central banks, one of the um, uh, great advantages uh, the, of working for the central bank is the training opportunities, as you would be aware, and we are the only central bank in the country, so the only place that uh, we could uh, go and train is abroad, where you have institutions or agencies like IMF, um, ADB, or AFI recently, Financial Inclusion, that's able to pull people together and uh, train, train them. So I think from my experience of uh, going to IMF, I've been to STI a few times on uh, various uh, trainings, there's sort of uh, this assumption of uh, you know, this research element that it already resides. Eh? So you come in and they just teach you the practical part of it. And I think that uh, academic rigor that if you were doing, uh, if you were analyzing something in the, in the academic, in, in a university, it would probably be different. Uh, we always talk about uh, policy, uh, practicality of policy, and uh, you know the ivory towers of uh, academics. But somehow, these some um, you know these these middle the the rigor that academics look at things is different from how we look at it. So these are. You know, the, the gap is how we bridge that divide on uh, so we can achieve some sort of rigor in uh, analyzing issues. I think that's important for transparency, for public to gain credibility in our policies. So we need to demonstrate that more and more. And uh, to to uh, factors that I think weigh on the research capacity in a central bank, I think one is over. We always seem to uh, lose stuff, so we are constantly training. So uh, building up capacity is a challenge. As you're aware, this uh, program that we've had, we've already lost some of our leading researchers. We have a 
some good ones coming through. And I always look at uh, departures as an opportunity because there's always an opportunity for the next person to step up, just like a rugby team. Somebody, the star goes down, the opportunity is there for someone to step up. But at the same time, it just uh, underlies the challenge, underlines the challenges we have in building that sustainability. And the other thing is, I think with policy, often, um, you know, there's a, there's a saying that uh, goes like there's more uh, when it comes to policy making, or well, I use that example in policy making, that there's more a loss to indecision than making the wrong decision. Yeah? So a lot of us would be aware in central banks that you can't wait for perfect information. If you wait for perfect information, you're dead. You Sometimes you have to make policy on the fly. So bringing in that, uh, so I think this is one of the challenges we have when we want to build, uh, you know, the level of uh, rigor that we would, that you normally would see in other papers. The data is not there. Making decisions, I think there was a paper once done by IMF or uh, making decisions, policy decisions on imperfect information. You just try and read the tea leaves because this a cost in decision. If you late you, so I think these are the challenges we have and uh, the collaboration with the learning institution which has, um, you know, the reservoir of uh, people who are academically inclined and who are so used to that academic rigor and bringing them together with the uh, you know, with the policy makers who are suffering from turnover, who need to make decisions in an in, in, on imperfect information. You know, that's where this benefit, uh, you know, that's where the gap is, and that's how we can uh, collaborate on and try and uh, churn out some of these um, research articles, these uh, research pieces that will help guide our future direction of future policy. Thank you for that. So it seems what you're saying is that uh, what a central bank or a research institution would have liked was some sort of a systematic scientific approach to research. Yeah. And it seems that Griffith uh, University through, through the PICDPR has been able to provide that avenue for the central bank. Um, I've, people are also saying that, uh, I've heard them say that uh, what we are doing here for the region is basically a truly regional model. A lot of other capacity building institutions and others may talk about a regional model, but uh, I'm not sure about those ones. But this one here, would you like to make any comment on that one, that this is really a truly regional model? Well, it is from my perspective. I mean, we, we've uh, seen that meeting we I alluded to. You had the governor of all the central banks in the Pacific or South Pacific region as we know it. So we had Vanuatu, PNG, Solomons, uh, Timor-Leste, I think Governor Brown was there too, Fiji. So, you know, from the very first uh, MOU which we signed, uh, Reserve Bank, and slowly it has expanded. And I feel that's also a testament to uh, Fiji's uh, leadership in the region that people do look up to Fiji, and it's a testament to those that have preceded us, who have brought us along to this standing where most of the other central banks look up to Fiji, and uh, and it's something that we 
as assist them with yeah? so whenever they are there's requests to come and uh, uh, do study visits here we are always open and uh, once Fiji was in and PNG and then it just snowballed and I think you also by expanding or rebranding this uh, to uh, what do you call it? South yeah, so we are expanding it beyond central bank. So I think that's going to uh, make it really truly regional because we have Micronesia, which doesn't have central banks. Uh, but I understand uh, that uh, they are also interested in joining. I think Palau and uh, Marshall Islands, and I think so. By expanding to Micronesia, then you'll probably be rivaling uh, something like BEFDEC in terms of the reach, yeah? but, uh, right across the length and breadth of the Blue Ocean, or the greatest uh, uh, South Pacific Ocean. Yes, so uh, since the rebranding, uh, Republic of Marshall Islands Office of Banking Commission has joined our program as well as Palau's Ministry of Finance and the Solomon Islands Ministry of Finance too. Uh, we're hoping to reach out to uh, uh, the Ministry of Finance here, Ministry of Economy rather, here in Fiji, and uh, the central banks which are still not our partners. Uh, these are central banks of Samoa, Tonga, and others in the region. The um, idea is to get everybody on board so that we all also can interact with each other we have recently um, uh, created a Teams group for the region, and uh, this is going to help us all talk to each other whenever we like to interact with each other as much as we can. Uh, what I would like to ask you next is, uh, where do you see this partnership going with the, the Griffith University in the next five to 10 years? I hope, I'm sure that you will stay with us for the next five, 10 years. But uh, yes, your comments on that, please. Thank you, Brahmin. I think from you know what I described, the challenges, the gaps we're trying to fill, and you know, uh, as an institution, we continue to try to improve or you know to scale up our ambition on academic uh, rigor or the capacity for research. So it's going to be an ongoing issue. I think the collaboration I can see it continuing. You know for the next, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, for the next five to 10 years. I think our priority right now is to complete the research papers. I think COVID has hit us, uh, you know, set us back, everyone. And I think the research, uh, if not for COVID, we probably would have produced a few more research pieces. On that point, I should yeah. let you know that Mm -hmm. Among all the policy, all the partners that we've been working on mm -hmm. with the Reserve Bank is far ahead of the others in terms of publishing working papers as well as journal articles. Mm -hmm. So we have four journal articles with the, the Reserve Bank. That's a great achievement. Sorry, please mm -hmm. go And I think as we go forward, I think the challenge for us is to, um, uh, to start to really... Um, uh, big topics that can inform or that's more relevant, I mean, increasingly relevant to policy making. I think, you know, even in the working papers that we produce, I think if you go on to the RBA website, I think that's where we should aspire to be. And you'll just click on their link of working papers and you see the, 
the titles uh, just catches your attention. I think I'm struggling to remember, but um, and they do um, research or working papers that you can easily see how it will translate into a, a decision paper for policy and then going to the board and you know in various pieces and and I think that's that's the challenge for us or that's the aspiration for us is to you know achieve that stage where we can have this collaboration have a pipeline of uh, talent coming through the training capacity that we can have uh, you know very confident uh, researchers and economists and collaborating across the platform to the you know to the region with uh, you know PNG has a strong research um, they do a lot of work with with CSEN the involvement with CSEN on research is uh, you know, which is something that we couldn't do because we are just so small compared to you know to be able to release resources for 3 months on research is just beyond us so I think that's where we we hope to be, that we will continue to refine our topics for research and continue to lean on that collaborative effort with uh, Griffith and bringing in the academic Riga and trying to churn out these pieces that will um, inform our policy making. I'm, I'm glad you made that point because that has always been our intention. Um, we wanted to do research that was going to be different from uh, the research that academics do. That is mainly to publish in journals and you know, that's a uh, key KPI for KPIs for academics. In our case, uh, the difference was going to be that uh, the, the, our papers were going to have clear policy outcomes. Um, we have been trying to do that, uh, but uh, you know, um, hopefully uh, very soon it uh, will the the link between the research and the policy will become much clearer and uh, so um, again as the, the as you've been saying yes we need to be more careful about the topics we select we, we would like to do together so that in the end there is going to be policy outcomes so, and in talking about the policy outcomes then uh, so we would like maybe we could talk about that now uh, so maybe you could talk about the three most important policy challenges for RBF in this post-COVID environment, uh, and then that will lead to how we could help with that one. Then. Thank you, Praveen. So I think the most, the immediate challenge right now is recovering from uh, from the pandemic. I think you know uh, presenting uh, the economic. I was doing a presentation to the Australian business people. And I mentioned that, you know, one of the slides said that we definitely have considered that the, the pandemic is behind us. It's not gone, but, uh, you know, nothing could be worse than, you know, if we cast our minds back to 2020, 2021, where, you know, there was almost half the work workforce that, uh, just laid off 40 percent of the you know, tourism industry was just shut down so 40 percent of the economy was just turned off like a light overnight and uh, you know they were suffering they was locked down so i think to come from that to challenges uh, the headwinds that we are facing with inflation and all it's tough it is really tough but uh, 
you know, it's it's like uh, nothing could be tougher than what we endured back then. When, especially when you try to look forward, eh, the prospects looking forward, and you couldn't see anything. We couldn't see how, in the first few months of the pandemic, that res that tourism could come back the state it was now. As we thought people will be so reluctant to travel because they would just, uh, you know, because of COVID. And uh, we couldn't see how buffet stations would uh, look like, you know. So tourism, as we know it, we thought was totally out the window because of uh, the challenges that the pandemic uh, threw at us. And then you had people leaving the resorts, going into other sectors. So the challenge right now, uh, because we have contracted by 17, more than 17 percent, is uh, just coming back. Uh, so the priorities right now is uh, debt, putting debt to GDP or the government uh, debt back on a sustainable path, which already started with the budget that was announced. So those are the immediate priorities, enabling, uh, you know, making sure that as we go forward, there's sustainable and inclusive recovery. There's a lot of uh, scarring, there's a lot of pain and suffering that the, that the country has endured. While tourism is up, and you know this optimism all around, and this economic activity, consumption, and all that's signifying that we are on the path to recovery, it's important that we uh, make sure that it's sustainable. So, looking at debt diversification, we talked about uh, ensuring that the con that the um, tourism we don't rely as much on tourism sector. So. That diversification and debt is a, is a key part and also building our human resources uh, within the country. That's also all these challenges that will that is that we are confronted with as we are you know as a result of the pandemic. So this is the key challenge for us. The other one is climate change. In climate change. Um, Taken a bit of a back burner, but climate change is uh, definitely a challenge. And um, and maybe finally, is, uh, as a result too of the pandemic, the escalation on uh, digital and uh, digital currency and all those um, you know, work from home and the improvement that we're seeing with or communications and digital and also the uh, challenges that we continue to face with. Uh, loss of skills. I think this is uh, the policy challenges that uh, the country will face and definitely I'm, the reserve may. I'm, I'm sure that uh, we could uh, think about this uh, or look at this uh, more closely, these things that you have just mentioned, to see uh, how we could start some collaboration research on those topics and uh, I'm sure also that we will be able to help the researchers from the central banks, central bank here or other research of policy making institutions to, um, to get it to a stage where it could have uh, policy outcomes. So any your last uh, comments, words on that, how we could, how you see that happening? Yeah, so as I mentioned, I think we need to uh, be more targeted in, uh, you know, to now, now that we've identified some of the uh, challenges uh, that's confronting the central bank and how we will uh, um, you know, and most of our researchers are from economics so, and financial systems development, so how they will be able to 
you know, like uh, guide us on the, the areas that we need to uh, direct research resources to and, um, you know, towards um, making sure that we, uh, you know, can churn out, um, strengthen that link of our research work to the policy outcomes based on our challenges. Oh, well, that's all I want to uh, ask you, Deputy Governor. Thank you very much indeed for your time. And I'm sure that has been useful for the audience as well. And you would appreciate that, uh, what we are doing here in terms of uh, building capacity for the region's uh, research policy-making institutions. Thank you very much.